It's Thursday, September 29th, 2022, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. I'm Jonathan Mavrotis, senior writer at the Hoover Institution, and I'm sitting in the chair of Bill Whalen, the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism, so that he can answer questions and provide commentary about California policy and politics in which he is well-versed. Bill Whalen, in addition to being a Washington Post columnist, writes weekly for Hoover's California On Your Mind web channel, and edits and publishes Eureka, a quarterly forum featuring analysis and commentary from Hoover scholars and California's top thinkers. Whalen is joined today by Leo Hanian, Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and Professor of Economics and the Director of the Edinger Family Program in Macroeconomic Research at the University of California, Los Angeles. Ohanian also writes twice per week about the policy environment of the Golden State for California on your mind. Good day, gentlemen. Let's talk about the latest developments in policy and politics in the Golden State. Uh, Lee, let's start off talking about um, your column for California on your mind this week titled, quote, America's expensive gamble on electric vehicles won't move the climate needle. You write, quote, a key problem with relying on renewables for electricity, especially solar, is that we don't yet have battery storage capacity to adequately capture the surplus power generated during the peak sunshine hours, which is essential for EVs since many consumers will be charging their EVs at night. California, which has moved to renewable power generation much faster than most states, pays other states to take excess power produced at midday off our hands, lest it damage California's power grid. This means electricity supply becomes increasingly scarce and risky during the evening hours when the sun sets and household demand spikes. During California's recent heat wave, consumers were told not to charge EVs at night and to otherwise substantially reduce electricity use because of limited power supplies in the late afternoon and early evening hours, unquote. Uh, Lee, you doubt that California uh, could do more if people had adopted um, EVs, especially uh, when the state's mandate of eliminating gas-powered cars is enforced by 2035. But why can we expect the energy grid to produce more, much more in 12 years than it does today? Well, Jonathan, that's really the gamble that California is facing. Uh, California has chosen to really dive off the dive off the EV deep end, so to speak, um, by banning the sale of new gas powered gas powered cars and light trucks by 2035. And there's also intermediate goals for this as well. By 20, uh, 2026, California is aiming at over 30 percent EV car sales. Um, right now, I think they're around four or five percent. So in just three and a half years, we're looking if California has its way, we're looking at a huge jump in EV car sales up to 68 percent share of EV car sales um, by 2030, which is which will be here before we know it. So it doesn't really make much sense to do this. Um, and it really is at some level schizophrenic because California is trying to push drivers at a very fast rate into electric vehicles. Uh, electric vehicles have to be plugged in and the state's electric grid is nowhere close to being able to handle that. Um, so ironically, you have a situation where we had a, you know, we had a, we had a terrible heat wave in the state a couple of weeks ago. Had, had California motorists adopted EVs at a much greater rate than what we see so far. Right now, EVs are just a drop in the bucket in the soccer cars in California and the rest of the United States rest of the United States, what would have happened? Uh, that We would have blown the grid if we had all those people plugging in their EVs at night. Um, and that's when people plug in their EVs. They go around driving during the day and they come home, they plug them in at night. Um, right. So it just really doesn't make much sense um, to do this. And it's, uh, it's really a case of, sadly speaking, it's a case of the right hand in California government doesn't really know what the left hand is doing. Um, it's... Um, 
it's really it's it's it has all the makings of disaster uh, 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 on our hands. Yeah. So, Lee, that's really an important point. Government, the left hand and the right hand. So let me let me ask you this question. So we look at uh, California electric vehicles and I see, no pun intended, a lot of moving parts. Uh, there is the question of, first of all, if people are going to be able to get affordable uh, electric vehicles uh, anytime soon, because the reality is most people cannot afford to buy a new Tesla. Uh, a colleague of mine was looking at the brand new BMW uh, sport utility vehicle. It's electric. It's $100,000. So that's out of, out of most people's price ranges. So number one, can you find an affordable car? Number two, can you find one that's really practical for lifestyle in terms of battery range? Uh, but then the next question, Lee, is going to be one of behavior. So yeah, government now wants you to charge during the day. Uh, some people are going to, that means you get after you drive your car to work, you have to have chargers at work. I was at a medical facility yesterday where in this giant garage, there were, I think, four charge stations. So you have to do more of that. So it involves planning. Uh, but then on top of that, Lee, there's also the question of individual behavior in this regard. I'm looking at my phone right now, which I'm incredibly anal about. I'm always having the damn thing charged to 100%. I don't need to do that. I can let the juice wear down on it. But people with electric vehicles are sometimes the same way. They will not let the battery wind down. So all these parts. But central to this, Lee, is this question, who is driving the train within state government? Is it the Air Resources Board or is there some other entity? In other words, this involves a lot of planning by the state to make sure that all these things, doing the charging stations, uh, making sure people have chargers at home, making, you know, looking at the fleet of electric vehicles. Somebody in California government has to be a mastermind here. And last time I checked, Lee, there is not an electrical vehicle czar of California. So who's who's in charge? No, there's not. Um, uh, I, I don't know who's in charge. And, and there lies the problem exactly. because we have people working on the electric grid who are incredibly worried about this capacity that we're at full capacity right now on challenging days, such as what we see, what we saw in the summertime. And then we have these people, you know, miles away, hundreds of miles away. They're saying, hey, let's build a lot more. Let's build a lot more EVs. And um, and they're not working together. Um, as far as I can tell, at least not realistically working together. So, you know, Bill, you mentioned that, you know, a reason why only, you know, 2% or 3% of cars in California are EVs is because people don't want them. They don't fit in with their lifestyle. Um, and you're absolutely right. Um, we need these charging stations. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Biden had a press conference in Detroit at the National Auto Show where, you know, he was touting, well, hey, you know, we've got seven and a half billion dollars where we're going to build these charging stations in 35 states and we'll have more funding later. And then he boasted that my administration has spent or will spend a total of one hundred thirty five billion dollars on electric cars. So you look at that for a moment, you ask yourself, one hundred thirty five billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Um, how much will that do to address climate change, no matter how people feel about that issue? It's really an issue of, hey, is it worth spending $135 billion to try to get more people into EVs, which includes building on these charging stations? Um, it's not going to make a dent in global carbon emissions. Um, we could eliminate every gas-powered car and light truck in the entire United States That would and put, put all those people and truck drivers into EVs. That would drop global carbon emissions by 1%. Right. That will make absolutely no difference whatsoever in any model of climate change, ranging from the United Nations to the ones being pursued at MIT. You're looking at absolutely no change in average pro projected temperatures. You're looking at absolutely no change in sea levels. Um, mm -hmm. At $135 billion could be spent so much more effectively. Um, 
dealing with uh, you know tr- trying to get trying to get people away from fossil fuel powered appliances and cars and, and electricity boils down to things like adopting more nuclear energy, which Newsom now is grudgingly having to do right. by delaying the shutdown of the Diablo Canyon power plant, because just that one power plant is responsible for about 10% of the state's electricity. And what Newsom now realizes at the 11th hour is that we cannot lose that power plant. We are not right. able to be able to deal with electrical demands if we lose 10% of the power by retiring that power plant. So, Lee, one thing this is doing is it's creating political uh, odd bedfellows, if you will. And I would turn your attention, Lee and Jonathan, to Proposition 30 on the California ballot. It's an odd year for initiatives in California. There are only seven measures on the ballot, usually in an election year in California, about 12 to 13 or so. So we're a little light. Uh, but Prop 30 is interesting in this regard. It's uh, sponsored by Lyft. And why is Lyft uh, uh, doing Prop 30? Prop 30 would impose a, another uh, tax on millionaires. Um, and the proceeds would go into a fund. And the fund would help people buy electric vehicles. Why is Lyft doing this? Because Lee and Jonathan, Lyft faces a mandate at the end of the decade in which 90% of its traffic has to be done by by electric vehicles. So it very much needs to get drivers into EVs. And so it wants to take money from the rich to to give the poor. It's very Robin Hood in that regard. Uh, But the odd bedfellows goes like this. Uh, In support of Lyft, uh, Lyft supports this idea. The Democratic California Democratic Party supports the idea. And you know who opposes it? Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom. He is starring in ads right now, bashing it. So, Lee, tell me what problem Gavin Newsom has with Lyft, because I think we're going to go into the into the uh, wonderful story that is AB5, and the governor and Lyft just are, they are not frenemies, they are enemies. Yeah, no, they don't get along. Um, and uh, this is, you know, if you, if you push Gavin Newsom to find the logic of why he's, why he's not supporting Proposition 30, it really boils down to you know the old the old saw of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Right. Newsom says we are the leaders in green energy. We're going to get people in electric cars, and we're going to show we're going to show those idiots in Texas and Florida, meaning the governors in Texas and Florida, that California can do it, and we're going to do. We're going to show you how to do it. But now he's doesn't want to, and thankfully, thankfully he doesn't want to implement. Uh, he, he, thankfully, he doesn't want to increase the country's highest personal state tax rate to make it even higher. But, you know, Lyft and Uber were, uh, were you know, 75, $85 million contributors um, to the proposition um, a couple of years ago, which exempted Lyft and Uber from AB5. Um, right. And so this was pushing Newsom in a way he didn't want to go. AB5, as we as we talked about a number of times, is just, a horrendous law. It, there was never any reason to pass it. There was no there was no one was being harmed by AB five. This was really a payoff to unions, try to get more people into unions um, by forcing them to become employees rather than being independent contractors. So Newsom signed AB five. He was all for it. It was uh, it was a huge payoff to the progressive wing of the state's Democratic Party. And now you've got Lyft saying, "Yeah, we want we want Proposition thirty. We want other people." to pay for our drivers to get into electric vehicles. Because Bill, as you noted, they're really, really expensive. They're they're yeah. less expensive and more functional today than they were 10 years ago when they had ranges of, you know, 45, 45 miles. <laughs> um, but they're so far from being practical for most people. So again, we not only have a situation where <clears throat> the state's telling people, hey, 
get your rear end to an electric vehicle and then saying, oh, <clears throat> but by the way, we don't have the electricity available for you to charge it. <laughs> and now saying, and by the way, we're going to do away with the potential revenue source to support climate change and to support EVs and to build more of these charging stations. So it's not just, you know, two, it's not just two-dimensional schizophrenia. This is three-dimensional schizophrenia. So what we have, Lee, is a really interesting fight to the finish here. Uh, Prop 30 is in the mid to low 50s right now in terms of approval, and that's a very bad place to be because um, California initiatives have kind of Newtonian principles to them. What goes up comes down. It's gravity. It sags at the end. So the idea is for the opposition campaign to drive it uh, under 50%. So on the one side, the opposition, you have Gavin Newsom stirring in ads, and he goes just flat after after Lyft, just, just you know, accuses them of corporate greed, just trying to villainize ride shares. But who is supporting Prop 30 starring their ads are firefighters. And that's because part of the money in Prop 30 goes to firefighter containment and firefighter free sources. So interesting choice for California voters here, but it's not the only measure on the ballot. And I know, Jonathan, if you want to get to Prop 27 now, but, you know, we're at the stage now where it's just as hard to escape initiatives on the airwaves. Yes, Bill, that was the topic of your column for California on your mind this week. Uh, you write about Proposition 27, which would legalize online sports betting in the Golden State, and 26, which would legalize sports betting at racetracks and tribal casinos in the state. Uh, the campaign against Proposition 27 in particular is an outrageously expensive political turf war, you write, amounting to half, uh, half over half a billion dollars, uh, pitting sports betting giants like BetMGM, DraftKings, and FanDuel against California, California tribes while protecting the market share in the gaming business. If Proposition 27 is successful, it would create a fund in which 85% of revenue would go toward homelessness and gambling addiction programs. You're right in theory, that's good politics because a vast majority of Californians are deeply concerned about the homelessness issue. Yet Prop 27 is being clobbered in the polls. 34% say yes uh, to 54% saying no, according to the Policy Institute of California. Uh, why isn't Proposition 27 doing well in the, in the polls, Bill? Well, it's a little tricky. Let me see if I can explain this cleanly. There are actually two gaming initiatives on the ballot. There's Propositions 26 and 27. Now, 26 uh, would expand gaming in California. It would allow you to do sports betting, but only at Indian casinos. And it's sponsored by a surprise, surprise, gambling tribes in California, tribes that own casinos. 27 is sponsored, as you mentioned, by the out-of-state entities like DraftKings and so forth. And that would allow you to just do it online wherever you are, on your phone, on your computer, wherever you are in California. And that has the tribes just absolutely up in arms, so they have spent what it's taken to drive the thing into the ground. The ads are fascinating. The uh, the No on 27 um, uh, campaign is just going very much by a California playbook, which you do two things. Number one, you just demonize your opponents as evil out-of-state entities. I've seen this done time and again, be it gambling, a, a school choice initiative uh, several years ago is the same formula to kill it. Just don't let these evil out-of-state people do this to California. Uh, but then they're also suggesting all sorts of heartstring things. Most importantly, that if you allow this, the kids are going to be able to go online on their smartphones and Leo Hedy and son will be able to waste his days in school gambling. And there are all kinds of safeguards against it. It's kind of a specious argument, but there it is. But it's been very effective. Uh, what's fascinating is this. California, the golden state is the golden goose when it comes to online gaming. It's about a three and a half billion dollar uh, market waiting for uh, the gaming people to come into it. But guys, I'm not sure if it's what's best for California society. There have been studies over the years about people who play the lottery. And Lee and Jonathan, you guys don't only play the 
the lottery. People who tend to be more in the underclass play the lottery. And I suspect sports gaming would be much the same, just having people part with their money. So there you are, classic California initiative politics. But yeah, it's going down and it's going down hard. And you know, what got me writing about it, Lee and Jonathan, was just there was just no escape from the damn ads uh, for the past month or so. It was going on seeming like forever watch a new show, you watch a ball game, you just whatever you watch on TV, they're the ads, they're relentless, and the no on 27 ads in particular were relentless. So, you know, kudos to the uh, gaming tribes, they're going to win. There's an enormous amount of money involved here, which explains yep. why was built close to $400 million <laughs> spent so far on advertisements. Yes. yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's remarkable. And it, it highlights a highlights a problem with uh, California state governance, which is... Um, you know, ironically, we rely way too much on direct democracy in terms of in terms of ballot propositions where voters um, really most voters really have no idea what's going on with nearly every proposition that's being voted on, depending on the voting cycle. And in this case, you know, there's enormous money to be made from online gambling. And I suspect um, because it's such a huge revenue source potentially a huge revenue source for uh, state government. Um, I suspect we'll see it in place at some point in the next five years. Um, Bill, as you point out, not this time. I think, what is the Bill, 30, is 30 states, 33 states have online gambling 30, now? 30, 30 um, states, right, a calibration behind. You know, the other aspect of this, though, Lee, is I think the 27 uh, campaign overplayed its hand in this regard. It addressed one issue in particular, homelessness. It would tell you that revenue from this is going to be a game changer for homelessness. And Lee and Jonathan, I think that's maybe not a smart message in this regard. It's overpromising on something in which California has been under-delivering for what feels like ages now in terms of solving homelessness. So I think a lot of people see that as and they or the ads plural, I should say, and as this is going to solve homelessness, and you just the BS meter goes off. And so, you know, <laughs> messaging does matter. Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, I mean, for, for for the people and the organizations try to implement this, they are really in a difficult situation because California is the boy who cried wolf uh, right. in terms of homelessness. We spent tens of billions of dollars and we don't make a dent because the money is wasted because the problem is poorly diagnosed. There's a dozen reasons why we have failed so miserably on homelessness. So now the yes on 27 folks uh, was at FanDuel and there's you know, other large online gaming um, corporations. Uh, they were sort of stuck saying, oh my God, you know, <laughs> Cal- you know w- nobody's believing us because the state government, local governments have failed so, have failed so badly. Um, and perhaps people also remember that, you know, when the lottery was introduced, um, you know, decades ago, that was promised to be, a, that was a promise to be able to fix California schools. Right. Um, and two thirds of our kids are, are, are below grade level in literacy. Um, over 70% of our kids are below grade level in mathematics, uh, far so. So from this standpoint, I think voters are kind of seeing through this. Um yeah. And yeah, I, I agree. It was a strategic mistake on the part of 27 and the gaming tribes um, and the horse racing tracks. They were very, very astute to point out this is all these out of state, out of the country corporations. They're going to be getting all the money and, you know, the kids are going to be at risk and don't believe don't believe what's happened. Don't believe it's going to move the needle with with homelessness. Um, they were they were strategically very, very smart. So. You know, again, we sort of see how this plays out. Uh, and and I think it's I think it's unfortunate that we leave some of these issues directly up to voters who have no idea really 
how, uh, to become informed or how to vote on these things. Um, we put in place politicians into the legislature, states, you know, the Senate and the Assembly. Um, we're supposed to rely on them for making sensible policy choices. Um, it's unfortunately, it's unfortunate they can't do that, in my opinion. But voters aren't so much better at it when you get down to it. Gentlemen, Governor Newsom has vetoed a number of bills within the past month. Uh, the New York Times in a report this week actually highlighted five. And those are Senate Bill 70, which would have mandated full day kindergarten before children could enter first grade at a public school. Senate Bill 834, which would allow the Attorney General to strip a nonprofit of tax exempt status for participating in treason or insurrection or advocating the overthrow of the government. Uh, Assembly Bill 1919, which would have created free transit for K through 12 in public college and university students. Um, Assembly Bill 2382, uh, which would have reduced pollution, uh, which would have reduced pollution from outdoor lights on state properties. And AB, Assembly Bill 2550, which would require the California Air Resources Board to intervene and assert control over the San Joaquin Valley Air Pollution Control District if it failed to meet specific regulations. Let's take a look at Newsom's statement on full day and mandatory kindergarten of the bill that he vetoed. He said, while I support full day access to kindergarten, I cannot sign this bill as it would impose new costs outside the budget, unquote. According to the Anderson School of Business at UCLA, California's economy remains robust, but its outlook is weaker than it was three months ago. Uh, California drew 11% less in personal income tax revenue than expected so far this year. Uh, Lee, do you foresee revenues continuing to fall short in fiscal tightening by Sacramento? Um, so when the stock market goes in the tank, which it clearly is in the tank now by any definition, then people aren't realizing the capital gains. And therefore, all that revenue, that beautiful revenue that comes in from that very, very small group of people are incredibly wealthy, that dries up. So we saw 11% drop. Um, we're going to see a much larger drop coming with what just was going on with the stock market. Um, what's going on with housing prices? Housing prices are softening, so we're going to see fewer home sales. Um, home sales are way, way down already. So yeah, California's in trouble. And um, uh, you know, when I look at Newsom and his statement um, that you know, hey, we're one of the relatively few states that doesn't require kindergarten. I'm, right. I'm you know, I'm inclined to say, well, what about all those big checks, the rebate checks that you wrote back a few months ago, and what about a state budget that spends twenty three thousand dollars per household? We don't have the money to invest in young kids. And yet for years, you've been arguing about spending enormous amounts of money, not just on, not on kindergarten, but on, on preschool and you know, providing universal preschool. So suddenly Gavin Newsom is becoming a fiscal conservative. It's, it, is, it, is, it is shocking. And it's shocking that, that real, reasonable priorities, such as kindergarten, are taking a backseat to other spending issues. One of my favorite is that the state spent half a billion dollars last year on DEI training. Um, I'd love to see how that is a higher priority item than getting kids into kindergarten. Yeah. Okay. So Lee, you said this was shocking uh, that Gavin Newsom did this, but my friend, this is about as shocking as Captain Minot being shocked to discover there's gambling in Casablanca uh, in this regard, uh, claiming 
fiscal pain, being worried about the economy. That's the easiest out for a California governor. Jerry Brown did this time and again uh, when he was governor. He would get a spending initiative he didn't care for, and he would tack that in his veto message. It's just not fiscally sound. We can't afford it, blah, blah, blah. Newsom's doing the same thing, Lee and Jonathan, but this is kind of selective outrage, if you will. He's just kind of cherry picking which ones he's fiscally concerned about. Um, So, you know, read into that what you will. But it does remind you about one thing. Uh, I worked for a California governor, and, you know, I learned California. California politics apprenticing under him. And it's not until you work in Sacramento and watch the governor up close that you just realize how much power this man or woman has because the, the veto pen is just far mightier than legislative sword. Uh, governors can merely veto if they want to. The legislature hardly if ever overrides a veto. And the governor's smart about it. He knows how to sell it to the public, which is what Newsom is doing cleverly here on kindergarten. So keep a watch here in the next uh, couple of weeks we have left of the time remaining on Bill signing as well to see how he does this. Uh, I have a couple of friends who uh, who are journalists who cover politics in Sacramento. And this is kind of their Gavin Newsom drinking game that every time he comes up with a veto message like this and you see the words fiscal conservatism, everybody drinks. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk uh, a little bit about, about um, the Newsom uh, Potomac Watch. Uh, the California governor spoke at the Clinton Global Initiative, where he touted California's leadership on, on the mitigation of climate change and a transition to clean energy. He also went to the Texas Tribune Festival in Austin, where he criticized Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for their anti-abortion and other conservative policies. Uh, when he was there, he also denied running for president. Um, Newsom, uh, in the New York, um, as quoted in the New York Post, decried conservatives controlling the media narrative. Mm-hmm. He said, these guys are ruthless on the other side. The prime timeline of Fox, they are ruthless. They dominate the most important thing in American politics today, and that's the narrative. Facts become secondary to narrative. They dominate with illusion. We are getting crushed. Can Newsom say this with a straight face, given all the political governing and media institutions in his state have virtually guaranteed uh, his job security? Or maybe there's something to what he's actually uh, saying in a national context. Or maybe it's good politics to position yourself as a persecuted underdog if you have your eyes set on national office. Uh, Bill, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, he is saying what Democratic activists want to hear, that the stack is decked against that the deck is stacked against us. Evil Fox News controls everything. You know how many people watch Fox News on a nightly basis? Five, ten million people at the most. Fox News does not decide natural elections. And for a California governor to be whining about conservatives controlling the conversation, show me a really strong conservative media outlet in California. The Orange County Register is in kind of a diminished form. The San Diego Union Tribune is not what it used to be. The Los Angeles Times, San Francisco Chronicle, the Sacramento Bee, these are seriously liberal publications. There is not a conservative media presence in California. Uh, But you note that what Newsom is doing is exactly the same thing Hillary Clinton is doing, where she's talking about Fox News and its evil control over America as well. They're just creating a a straw man for Democrats to lash out against. Uh, Now, maybe if our listeners want us to stop talking about Newsom and the presidential thing, they should write to us and tell us to stop. But he keeps giving us fodder each week. And this is kind of the newest, uh, the latest nuance on it. Uh, Now, one thing I'm curious about is we're doing this podcast uh, today on Thursday. And and there's a lot of horrible stuff going on in Florida that has happened. I want to see if the governor can control himself in this regard. Is he going to take that tragedy and link it to climate change, which we're already seeing people on MSNBC and CNN doing? Uh, or is he going to overplay his hand on that regard? Uh, we know he can't stay away from going after Ron DeSantis. We know that he wants to point out Florida as a failure on many fronts. So will he take the bait and go after climate change? I think that's being a little tacky. It'd be like an earthquake here in California and claiming progressive excess for why California has earthquakes. It's just not not quite the same. I don't know. Lee, what do you think? 
Bill, uh, you know, I love that you brought up the uh, parallel, the parallel with Hillary Clinton, because that's exactly what I was thinking of when I read Newsom's statements in Texas. And you know, if he does have national political aspirations, and you know, we've we've um, debated this, and I suspect I suspect he does. Then um, you know, I think his handlers are probably making a mistake in terms of advising him. He's obviously preaching to the choir in California. Right. The choir is. Uh, <laughs> Well, the choir is about 77% of the electorate because there's only 23% registered Republicans in the state. There's a lot in the middle. Um, but he's, you know, there's, you know, if lightning strikes twice, then then he won't be he won't be reelected, but he's he's gonna be reelected in November. So really, if he has national political aspirations, he's gotta be thinking about, he needs to become the guy that appeals to the middle living in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan, the voters that made the difference between Trump and Hillary back in 2016. Um, if you want to, you know, he, he, he literally, he will not, at least in my opinion, he will not get elected running on the kind of platform, the types of ideas and visions that he has from California and being pugilistic about DeSantis and about Texas. Um, yeah. I think the historical record is that you've got to appeal to those people that made the difference in 2016. They moved right. away from Trump in 2020. I don't think they're good. I don't think they're particularly happy with how things are going at the national level right now. But appealing to those people is not the guy that he is right now. He's got to become a much, much different guy. So, and um, so, so, so coming across as you know, a common sense centrist worked for Joe Biden in 2020, but you know, Lee, his foil was Bernie Sanders, and that was what was standing between him and the nomination. So he, of course, went to Bernie's right, which of course is not very hard to do, is it? Uh, but you know, Newsom's looking at a different race. And a race in 2024, I think he's making the calculation the Democratic Party is just very hungry for somebody who brings it, who's just not in his 80s, who is just not as slow on the take as Biden. And boy, almost every day brings something in the way of a gaffe from Joe Biden. Uh, what did he do the other day? He uh, was asking if a Democratic Congresswoman was out in the crowd or a Republican Congresswoman was out in the crowd. And they had to tell him, well, she's been dead for three months, sir. Uh, just not a, not a shiny moment for Joe Biden. But I think what Newsom is doing here, Lee and Jonathan, um, presidential campaigns uh, go by what I call the three M's. Uh, there is momentum to run. Before that, there's a search for money to see if you can actually finance it. But before that is what I call mention, the battle of the great mention, as the media like to call it. Newsom has succeeded on that. If you read story after story about how the 2024 field might shape up, they always list about six or seven or eight Democrats. And Gavin Newsom has now achieved uh, a position as one of those six or seven or eight Democrats to turn to. So step number one of the process achieved. He is now he has won the battle of the great mention. The next question is going to be if, if this actually does play out, if Joe Biden does not run and then it's any any person shot at it, he's going to have to sniff around California in particular and see what money is available. And this is where things get tricky with him and the vice president, assuming that she is going to run for president, which I'd be shocked if she didn't. Uh, so are California Democrats going to side with the governor? Or are they going to side with Kamala? And things get really interesting here, Lee and Jonathan, because Democrats love identity politics. So will the decidedly white male in Sacramento trump the uh, uh, African-American uh, uh, biracial woman in, in Washington? Or will donors in California, Lee and Jonathan, make more of a uh, of a calculated uh, gamble, which is I will give money to the governor because even if he flatlines as a presidential candidate, he's still in Sacramento and can do me favors. This will especially be interesting to see on the on the corporate side what happens there. So. Um, 
his approach so far has been pretty smart, but I think, Lee, you've hit on something very key. Uh, he could actually use a strategy, I think, to get the nomination. I'm, I'm not sure he will at the end of the day, but I think it's the right approach to take. But the problem, though, then, Lee, is come the time for the pivot. He now has to figure out how to get 270 electoral votes. And if you travel through California, you'll see vestiges of what uh, Greg Abbott did when he ran for governor in 2018, where he invoked the phrase, don't California my Texas. And I think just in battleground state after battleground state, you'll see this cry for the Republicans. Don't California my fill in the blank, Georgia, Florida, Arizona, and so forth. And, you know, we've talked about this before in this podcast, but California is a very tough thing to defend in other states where they look at the state and they think, my God, I don't want this to happen to our state. Yeah, and there's a, there's an awful lot of people that will not be happy with going with with, with the vision of Gavin Newsom and the, and the ads that will be run about Gavin Newsom in California. Um, and this includes a lot of people who are Democrat outside of California who'd be more moderate Democrats, where they just look at California and just think, God, highest taxes, highest regulations. Oh my God, they don't even have kindergarten. Um, and that's one reason why I thought Gee, this doesn't seem very politically sensible for him to uh, for him not to sign on to mandatory kindergarten. I mean, what Democrat wouldn't think that was a good idea um, throughout the country? So, yeah, you know, Bill, I was, uh, you know, I'm curious, given your expertise, um, I would think Harris has just um, I mean, now that we're in, um, you know, 2022 elections um and what the 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 national cycle would start what about a year before would it be late 2023 the election the cycle starts no it starts on election night 2022 actually when okay you see okay people going in front of the cameras and clearly position themselves but you know in terms of an, so this is interesting for republicans because it's a question of what donald trump's going to do but now you'll see democrats uh filing in there well now i guess they're in the same boat with joe biden joe biden's gonna have to make up his mind about what he is doing and so it's kind of a unique election in that you have these two people who ran in 2020 really kind of having this leverage over freezing the field but uh, a couple of Democrats will come forward and challenge him openly, I think. Now, maybe Bernie will do it or somebody else, maybe kind of a gadfly. But let's assume Biden is not going to run. Then I think, Lee, uh, I would circle May or June 2023 is really when the stuff breaks out, because that's when you go out and you really start stumping hard in the early primary states. Yeah. OK. So let me, let me, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No. There is, so the reason I was asking is I'm thinking um, H- Harris has. Harris, as far as I can tell, really has no record to run on because she has no record since she ran in 2020, and not in, a, in her 2020 campaign was uh, was yeah. was DOA. Um, so she's got a handful of months to be able to accomplish something. I really don't know what that could be, even even if I thought she was politically capable of making those accomplishments. I think a big problem for her is that she's just not whether it's today or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, she's just not an effective politician. Um, So I just keep thinking Newsom's going to be the guy um, because I I just don't see, I don't see how Biden runs again. Yeah. The only thing could put a wrinkle in that Lee would be if uh, somehow say Stacey Abrams won in Georgia or Val Demings won the Senate race in Florida. Um, Then you might see a push for one of those two ladies to run for president, but Abrams is down by double digits right now. And Demings is very close to Marco Rubio, but Florida is still a very Republican state. And so I'd be surprised if she won as well, but I want to circle back to one thing, Lee, and that's the California economy. So, you know, personal tax revenue is down 11% so far in the fiscal year. And, you know, we're talking uh, right now as the market's just closed, and I'm afraid to look at my portfolio because I have money in a certain fruit company based in 
and Cupertino that makes computers, not fruit, but they have a fruit uh, sign on their logo. You know what it is. It got popped very hard today. People are losing money in this market. And Sacramento is going to lose money in terms of revenue. And Lee, if he wants to run for president, all has to be well in California. And if he's back here in California performing budget triage, uh, that makes for bad, bad headlines. It makes for bruised feelings. And it's very hard to run in 49 other states trying to sell people that all is well in California when the fact of the matter is you're in the red. So, you know, he's really at the mercy of the economy, I think, in that regard. Yeah, he is. He is. And I mean, he knows, and the people in, in the um, in the accounting office know. Um, they know revenue is going to be down. They just don't know how much. It's incredibly hard to predict because you have to predict individuals deciding, "Hey, do I take this capital gain, which could be hundred million dollars, or do I not exercise that capital gain, in which case is zero? So it's incredibly hard to predict these revenue flows. It's going to be much lower, and so the budget is in trouble next year. And a lot more difficult decisions will have to be made rather than just having having Gavin be game show Gavin and and handing <laughs> handing checks out as he did, you know, a few a few months ago. Um, the reality of economic life is going to come back and 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 bite Gavin and bite the rest of the people in in state government. Uh, and it's going to be a difficult year. And he can, you know, he he and Brown have sort of a love-hate relationship, but Brown was governor when we went through that awful period when California was was like Argentina, it was issuing IOUs. It was a, issuing essentially funny paper money until that was, you know, that was declared, that was declared by a judge to be illegal. So yeah, it's it's gonna it's it's gonna be a difficult ride. And once again, California schools will be in trouble in terms of funding and other California institutions will be in trouble of funding. Um, and yet somehow, some way, we're spending twenty-three thousand dollars a year per household this year in the state budget. Uh, and it's up fifty percent. That's a fifty percent increase from two years ago. I would love to see someone make the case that, hey, that 50% increase really moved the needle. Look how much better the DMV is. Look how much better our state schools are. You know, they're just, they're worse. Um, yeah. So, so two thoughts here, Lee. First of all, uh, the second I get my refund check, assuming I'm getting a refund check for $200, whatever it is, I'm cashing that bad boy as fast as I can before it comes back with an NSF on it. <laughs> it's efficient funds. But the second thing, Lee, getting back to the economy, again, this governor sorely needs some unicorns because if you look at the California economy for the past 20 years, one great boost to Sacramento is when some truly imaginative company comes forward and goes public and the revenue comes pouring into Sacramento. We saw this with Google. We saw this with Facebook. Uh, he needs companies like that to come forward and do IS uh, to do uh, IS uh, uh, initial public offerings IPOs. But you know, Lee, I'd be curious in this economic environment as well. What's what's going to happen to companies going public if it's a if it's a bearish economy? Do they back off of that or? Yeah, absolutely. IPOs IPOs are done when investors are when investors are ripe uh, and when they see a potential great deal and when they see that company taken off and um, IPO activity goes way way down just like related stuff, merger and acquisition activity goes way, way down when the economy is doing poorly. And those IPOs you're referencing are responsible for some of that, you know, deluge of revenue going into Sacramento. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Bill, I have a, uh, uh, I have a Hoover working paper um, that came out about a year ago. It's been completely revised. It reports on how many businesses left California. Um, is since 2016. And the number of businesses leaving California in 2021 is twice as much as any other year before that. 
Um, and when you mentioned, hey, you know, Newsom needs some unicorns. Yeah, he does, because um, 11 Fortune 1000 companies moved out of California um, just since 2016. 11 Fortune 1000 companies left. And a lot of other companies, small companies, but one, the ones you're talking about, the ones that are born in Silicon Valley that get venture capital funding, angel investor funding, that go public, that have an IPO, they're leaving California at a very, very quick rate. So they're getting funding at the at the VC level. Um, and a few of those have an idea that's transformational. This a breakthrough that looks like it's going to be a really big deal. Where are those people going? They're going to Texas, Tennessee, Florida. Florida's making a big push to become a tech hub. Um, so, yeah, yeah, those unicorns are going to be even more difficult to find than they usually are. It's a fascinating thing to watch because uh, these companies go public and then the people who uh, have stock in the company, they sell the stock and they have money to burn. And so how do they burn it? Well, they burn it on real estate and they burn it on buying automobiles. They buy it, burn it on going into restaurants, spending money all over the state. That's what drives the economy. And so, yeah, he could be, you know, for a state that's been a drought for God knows how long, uh, having an IPO drought is not a good thing for the governor. So again, it gets down to a critical thing, which is timing is everything if you want to run for president. And Cherry Brown learned this lesson the hard way. He ran in 1976. He ran again in 1980. And the second time around, uh, the public was, the Californians were kind of tired of him running for president a second time, but also just a bad mood California, a recession, just things on the wrong track, the emergence of Ronald Reagan. So just the wrong time for Jerry to be going around the country and trying to sell themselves as the, the cure for what ails America. And so again, if California is ailing in 2023, Lee, I'm just not sure how Gavin Newsom is going to be around to go around the country and sell himself as all about rainbows and lollipops and sunshine yeah yeah i mean anybody can spend money yeah. um not that many can be an effective leader um so if the predictable happens that'll really test newsom's leadership abilities because uh, so far he's just been game show gavin handing out check after check because of the remarkable largesse of revenue this come in um so yeah yeah we'll see how that plays out does gavin have leadership capacities yeah. We'll see. I, I haven't seen it. He, it hasn't been required of him yet, but it will be required next year. And then the final thing that will be fascinating is uh, if Newsom does indeed do this to see if Democrats decide to go after him personally, those running against him, or if they decide to make California the referendum. And so you could have blue on blue violence within the Golden State, if you will, but Democrats not in California claiming that California is not all it's cracked up to be. So stay tuned, listeners. Well, gentlemen, this has been very interesting, timely analysis. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jess. Fine as always. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, the Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you might hear it. And if you don't mind, please spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. Bill Whalen is on Twitter. His handle is at Bill Whalen C-A. And Lee Ohanian is also on Twitter. His handle is at Lee underscore Ohanian. Please visit the Hoover website at hoover.org and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report where you can access the latest scholarship and analysis from our fellows. Also check out California On Your Mind where Bill Whalen and Lee Ohanian write every week. Again, this is Jonathan Mavroidis sitting in Bill Whalen's chair this week. He'll be back for another episode of Matters of Policy and Politics. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.